Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. I was actually joking to Andy uh, before I came on that um, after hearing those inspired songs that we sang this morning and listening particularly to the reading from John 10 by Lydia that um, we didn't need a message this morning and that whatever I said would not come anywhere near those powerful words that Lydia read. Um, But we are continuing our journey in Luke and we've got to Luke chapter 4 and verse 38. And this is a story about Simon's mother-in-law, which sounds quite appropriate because my name is Simon and this is Mother's Day. And um, I'll let you into a little secret that not many people know. Um, My mother-in-law is one of my heroes. So, Luke chapter 4, verse 38. I've called this message, Look Up not down. And he, Jesus, arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, this story is is recorded in three of the Gospels, and uh, the three accounts all agree on a few things. One is that uh, Simon's mother-in-law was sick. The other is that Jesus healed her. And uh, the third thing is that she got up and started making them a meal straight away, which some of you may feel was a bit odd, Uh, Because I could imagine everybody was saying, hey, you've been really ill. Just take it easy. Uh, But for those of you who are uh, new to following Jesus, uh, you will soon learn that uh, following Jesus is uh, not about doing good things in order to get God's attention. It's about doing good things because God has got our attention. So Luke, as some of you may know, was a medical doctor like myself. And so uh, he and I, when we uh, look at this passage that he wrote, uh, see a few things that stand out that are not recorded in the other two accounts. And all three of the things that he pulls out uh, in, in his description of these events are totally pertinent to being a doctor. The first is he's the only one who describes the fever as being a high fever. You know, he obviously recognized that she was seriously ill. The second one is that he's the only one who says that they appealed to Jesus. They actually asked Jesus to help. And it says they appealed to him on her behalf. In uh, Matthew's account, it just says that Jesus saw her there. In Mark's account, it says they told him about her, but only in, Luke, in Dr. Luke's account that says they appealed 
to him. And again, I think as somebody who's a doctor, um, we know uh, that there are patients who need more than uh, a medical intervention. But it's at that point when I was reading this that I thought, do you know what, I really feel I need to address the elephant in the room here. Uh, for some of us, um, and particularly as we are uh, over a year now into a global pandemic when millions of people have had a fever and have died. And my guess is that many of those, their friends and family, have appealed to Jesus uh, on their behalf, and they didn't get better. So I wanted to home in on what Luke is telling us here to try and give us something that will help us to follow Jesus despite our questions about suffering and pain and sickness and death. And you know, Luke would have faced this. I think it's why he, he recounts this, this story in the way that he does. He would have faced this as a doctor. And the bit of this passage that really strikes me that I want us to home in on and look at more closely is this little phrase that only occurs in Luke's account where he says, Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever. Now, we could look closely at what that, that means, that phrase. We could unpack uh, the, the Greek meaning of that. There are two words there. I'm not a Greek um, scholar, but the two words, epistasis, epano, uh, epistasis, uh, epi means on or over. It's where we get our word epidermis. It's over the dermis, the part of the skin that's over the dermis, the epidermis. Stasis is where we get our word stasis from, or still, stability. And then epano just means over or above. It's the word that Luke uses when he describes the sign that was over Jesus' head when he hung on the cross. So you can get that sense that Jesus is there at the bedside and he is up close. He is over, he is still, he is above. And it dawned on me that as a doctor, I've been in this situation hundreds of times, whether it's uh, staring into an incubator, looking at a newborn baby, whether it's sitting on a child's bed, whether it's often kneeling at a child's bed so that I can get close to them, get close to their face as I'm examining their abdomen to see how they react, getting their attention. And it struck me as I read this that Jesus was doing that. He was getting her attention. And I think when eventually her eyes opened and, and she looked up, that's all she saw was Jesus. I think everybody else in the room just was if they weren't there. So I think we need to ask ourselves in situations like this, is Jesus getting our attention? You see, Jesus, we already have Jesus' attention. It, you know, in Matthew's account, it, it just says very casually, Jesus saw her. 
Now, Jesus sees everything. He sees us. But do we give him attention? Are we looking to him to find those answers that we search for in life? For help when we're going through difficult times, for struggling with things at work or at school that we're finding difficult. I mean, boy, I don't need to remind us all what this year has been like going through this pandemic and how it has raised questions and how people have talked about the importance of, of mindfulness and positive thinking. Um, but this isn't about positive thinking. This is about looking up and seeing a person. And what I want us to do this morning is to, just to do that together, just to look at this text, to look and see what we see in Jesus as a person. You see, God can use and does use sin and suffering and pain and death to get our attention. C.S. Lewis, as many of you will know, wrote a book uh, called The Problem of Pain, and he wrote it after the death of his wife from cancer. And in it, he said, we can ignore even pleasure but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So God can use pain and suffering, but God uses other things to get our attention. I mean, we've all walked out on a beautiful day and, and looked up at the, the sunsets or the stars and thought, wow, Stephen Hawking, the great uh, British uh, theoretical physicist and cosmologist who died on this day, 14th of March, uh, three years ago, he said, look up at the stars, not down at your feet. And his, um, he, he said his, his, his great goal in life was to answer the question, why does the universe exist? And he he made incredible uh, discoveries and, and, and forward thinking in, in science to try and answer that question. And in fact, made, made great progress in helping us understand how the universe came about. But I think in terms of meeting his stated goal, which was to understand why the universe come, came about, I think he may have come close to it when he said, it would not be much of a universe if it wasn't home to the people you love. We have lots of questions about suffering. We have lots of questions about the stars and how they got there and why they're there. But when we look at this passage, we see that those questions come together and are answered best by a person, by the person of Jesus you know, Graham Kendrick, in his song, um, summed this up really well. He said simply, the hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. 
I think when we look at this passage, we can see a few things about Jesus that help us uh, to follow him despite our questions about pain and suffering. The first is that Jesus cares about our pain. You know, he comes close. He's in her face. He's right up there. There's no social distancing here, okay? He is there. He wants her attention. He is drawn to her. And we, we will see that as we continue through Luke's gospel. Jesus is drawn to people who are sick and who are suffering and whose lives are in a mess. He's not embarrassed or ashamed about us. You know, the nickname that, that he was given by the people of the day was, was Jesus' friend of sinners. And, and the religious leaders of the day used it as a derogatory term to criticize him as a religious leader, friend of sinners. And Jesus' reply was, was very simple. He said, it, it's the sick who need a doctor. Jesus is drawn to our suffering, our sickness, and to people whose lives are messed up because of sin, because of the wrong things that we do. And people were drawn to him because of the things that he said. You know, in Luke 6, it says that people came to hear him. He spoke about being poor in spirit, about being hungry for more, about weeping because your life is in distress. But one of the reasons that I think Jesus cares so much about us is that he knows what it's like to be weak. He knows what it's like to suffer, to be uh, tempted, to be angry, to you know, take the last Jaffa cake rather than offering it to somebody else. He, he knows those temptations and yet he is the only person who has ever lived uh, a perfect life where he has resisted uh, those temptations. So the second thing that I would draw from this passage is that Jesus comprehends our pain. In fact, more than that, he understands with a deep sense of empathy. When we look up at the face of Jesus, we will see somebody who himself faced pain and suffering. The writer to the Hebrews said, Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And when the final days of Jesus' life were, were, were coming and, and he was walking into Jerusalem to face uh, an inevitable arrest and crucifixion, uh, Luke uh, writes, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And I think this is one of the things that, that I love about Jesus is his determination to lay down his life for me. You know, Lydia re read that this morning in John 10. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down. Jesus went with determination to his death. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And I'm sure that as Luke was writing those words, he was remembering something that was written in the Old Testament about 700 years before, where Isaiah said, I have set my face like flint, talking about Jesus, the Messiah. 
I have set my face like flint. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus faced up to pain, to suffering, disgrace and mocking with determination because of his love for us. So we know that when we go through difficulty, we, we, we can come out the other side and think, you know, that, that helped me to empathize with others, uh, to maybe be a little bit more caring because we've had that similar experience ourselves. Um, a, a couple of years ago, um, I, I had a, a medical condition called chronic idiopathic urticaria in which um, every single inch of my body was covered with uh, red, intensely itchy lumps. Uh, my face, my scalp, the palms of my hands, the soles of my feet, every part of my body was, was, was covered in this uh, urticaria. And um, I had it for about six months, and for the first month of it, I couldn't sleep properly because of the pain in my hands. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a distant memory now, a couple of years ago, but boy, did it help me to understand in my job as a doctor when I was treating children with itchy skin conditions like eczema or, or more often a reaction to a virus infection where they come up in a what's called acute uh, urticaria. I had the chronic form that goes on for more than a few months. Um, and it really gave me an empathy when I was treating and seeing these children think, boy, that is uncomfortable. That is tough. And, and uh, I have great admiration for how, how children put up with, with suffering with such a brave face. Uh, we adults, we're hopeless. Um, so going through suffering ourselves can be beneficial in, in, in giving us empathy uh, for, for other, others. But, you, you know, Jesus' understanding of our suffering is even deeper than that. Um, the writer in Hebrews says, Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he has gone through all those horrible experiences in life that we've gone through, and yet at no point did he give in and lie down and say, that's it. I'm not having any more of that. Um, and again, I turn to C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, who captured this so well. He said, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. Christ, he said, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. So Jesus has a deep, deep understanding of our pain and suffering greater than we will ever appreciate ourselves.
And then the third thing uh, that I see in this text that we can see about Jesus, and, and this is something which I, 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 I speak about with, with a bit of nervousness and trepidation because I don't uh, want to upset people. Um, uh, but I do want to say what I think is in the Bible. And this is that Jesus is in control of our pain. Verse 39, he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. So Jesus spoke to the fever and the fever left the room. There was an authority in his voice and I imagine that as she opened her eyes, he was smiling at her. And I think it's really important for us to understand that if Jesus has the authority and, and we, we read miracles of where he, he speaks to the wind and waves and everything is still, uh, but when, he, when we see that he has authority, when he has control over sin and sickness, we need to accept that when we are sick uh, and when we're in pain and when we're in distress, that it's not because Jesus is busy somewhere else and he is ignoring us. He knows that that's happening and he could at any moment stop it. So therefore, we need to accept that he is in control of that situation. And I don't know about you, but for me, that gives me great comfort. But it's a really, really tough thing for us to hear. But it's throughout the Bible. Um, it says about God, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity, Isaiah 45. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, Deuteronomy 32. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion, for he does not afflict from his heart, Lamentations 3. So although the Bible is very clear that God causes pain and grief and suffering and disaster. It's not his heart. His heart is compassion. His purpose is, yes, I have a plan and it involves pain and suffering, but my heart is, 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 very, very different to that. What is his heart? Well, Lamentations 3 goes on and says, his heart is full of steadfast love, of compassion. It talks about a compassion that never ends, mercy that is new every morning. It's fresh. It's, it never tires. It goes on forever. That is God's heart, although his purpose may be pain. There will be people who say, well, hang on a minute. You know, God is good and there are bad people. Oh, and what about the devil? He's bad, isn't he? Yes, and Jesus spoke quite a bit about the devil and about Satan. And Jesus acknowledged Satan's hand in sickness and suffering. You know, he pointed to a woman who'd been crippled for 18 years and he said, Satan did that. But Satan only did that 
because God was allowing him to do that. So in the story of Job, where Job had those incredible boils all over his body, which I'm sure was far worse than the urticaria that I had, and then uh, he, he, he lost members of his family were killed and, and all his wealth was destroyed. It was at the hand of Satan. Satan came and, and caused those things, but only because God gave him permission. And we see that in the story, the beginning of the story of Job. Satan comes to God and says, can I do this? And God says, yeah, you can do it. Let's, let's see how Job reacts to that. But at the end of the story of Job, the inspired writer of the book of Job says this, Job made a meal for his remaining family and friends. They came to his house and they had a meal together. And it says that they comforted Job for all the evil, all the disaster that the Lord, that's God, had brought upon him. No mention of Satan. You know, the greatest kick in the teeth for Satan is the fact that he does his best to cause grief and suffering and pain and lethargy of spirit. You know, oh, I don't know if God exists. You know, that's, that's some of God, Satan's greatest work. Satan does all those things gleefully, but all the time God is saying, yeah, I'm using you. You're a tool for me to use to bring about good. Well, that's a kick in the teeth for Satan. So, I, I just, I wanted to communicate that God is in control. Whatever you're going through, God is in control. And let that be a comfort to you. He cares for you. He wants to draw close to you. He understands what you're going through but he is in control. And I just want us to in encourage us to do what happened to Simon's mother-in-law in this story, that she looked up, and when she looked up, she saw Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do the same, to look up, to see Jesus, to spend time reading about him in the Gospels, to spend time talking to him, telling him the, the difficulties that you're having with life, talking to him uh, about your friends who maybe can't quite see yet the good news that Jesus is because Satan has blinded them. You see, knowing that God is in control and, and in charge doesn't mean that we don't pray for our friends. It means that we pray for our friends more because we have a God who has a plan and a purpose and wants to use our prayers uh, for the good of others. But there are reasons, aren't there, why we look away, why we don't look up. You know, maybe, maybe we're embarrassed um, about the state that we're in. Maybe we're proud. Maybe we're, we're stubborn. Maybe we, we don't realize that we need help. Uh, Maybe there is so much mess in our lives that we, we can't see his face. You know, Isaiah again says, your sins separate you from God, but they have hidden his face from you. 
Not hidden your face from him, he sees your face, but hidden his face from you. You find it difficult to see God because you've got so much stuff in your life that's wrong and needs to be sorted out. And the best thing to do is to be honest about that and to come to God and say, you know, I don't even know if you exist, but please, will you help me? Please, will you help me with this stuff that I'm going through? Just, I I keep making a mess in my life. Please help me. Please forgive me. Please just clear this stuff. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. Some of you, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, I've tried that, I've done that, but you know what? I think I'm just too far gone. Um, You know, I I think God's long since finished with me, Um, doesn't want anything to know about me. You know, Simon's mother-in-law, she was pretty far gone, you know, Uh, Dr. Luke said she had a high fever and I think if Jesus hadn't arrived at that moment, yeah, she she didn't have much time left. Um, This was probably her last chance. But look how little she needed to do. Just look up and see Jesus. And I'll end with this because I think it sort of fits in with worship that we had earlier and and the reading that was brought to us and so on. Um, When Jesus was crucified, um, there were two, we're told, robbers that were crucified alongside him. And uh, in two of the gospel accounts, it tells us that both these robbers mocked Jesus. But there came a, a point during the time that they were hanging on the cross, that one of the robbers um, had a change. Uh, Yes, he was breathing his last breaths in the last few hours of his life. He was pretty far gone, but a change happened to him because he went from mocking Jesus to suddenly realizing who Jesus was and acknowledging that he as a robber was justly receiving the penalty for the things that he'd done wrong, whereas Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. Pilate had said on a couple of occasions, I can't find anything wrong with him. And, you know, I was reflecting on that and thinking, You might think that's a bit harsh that somebody gets the death penalty for being a robber. But uh, the Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death, that there is no scale of sin. You know, there are little sins and big sins and little sins get uh, 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 small punishments and big sins get big punishments. No, they they all get the same punishment, which is uh, separation from God, eternal death. So that's a very deep thing when the, uh, this robber, um, and it's only recorded in Dr. Luke's account, this robber says, we're here hanging on this cross justly 
for what we've done wrong and he has done nothing wrong. That's a really deep thing to, to think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dying, I'm being executed for, for being a robber. Well, we don't know exactly what he, he'd done, but you might think, wow, boy, that was a bit harsh. In, in God's economy, um, we are dead in our sins unless we're forgiven. But the thing that I love about Dr. Luke's account of the, of the crucifixion, and it's only in his account, is that this robber, I guess he looks up. I guess he looks up and he sees Jesus. And, and I don't know what it is that he sees, whether it's... Um, uh, the notice above Jesus' head. I mean, I guess he probably heard people reading the notice that was above Jesus' head that said, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Whether it's that, he, he looked up and he saw that, whether it's he looked up and he saw the crown of thorns on Jesus' head and thought, yeah, maybe he is a king. And the crown of thorns, yeah, isn't that strange how a king is wearing a crown of thorns, the one thing that represents the pain and suffering and sin that has entered the world, the one reason why Jesus is on the cross is to deal with that sin forever. And so he says very simply to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't say, oh, please, can you remember all the good things I've done and forget all the bad things? Or please, can you remember that um, I stopped mocking you and started seeing you as a king? No, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Basically, I can see now that you are the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. You are God Almighty, dying for my sins on the cross. Be merciful to me. And that's all that we have to do, is just ask God to be merciful. His mercies are new every morning. And Perhaps one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Jesus' reply to the robber on the cross. And Jesus speaks with probably the same kingly authority that he once spoke to a fever and said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us to open our eyes to recognize that when you bring difficulties into our lives, it's to get our attention. Would you help us to open our eyes and see a God who is compassionate, who understands, 
who wants to comfort us in our difficulties, who is in control, who has authority, but above all, whose heart is compassion and mercy. And would you have mercy on us as you had on Simon's mother-in-law that we might get up despite people saying you need a rest, (laughs) you've been through some tough difficulties, that we might get up and serve you as our Lord and our King for your glory. Amen.